Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Shall we start? <coughs> My name is Jim. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Welcome to the panel on disposition of the heart, renewing of the mind. I'll be the moderator for this panel. <coughs> In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the same message, the session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during the session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you might you may participate fine. Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. We'll begin the meeting with a few moments of silence, followed by the serenity prayer. The serenity prayer. God, God, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, to order to change the things I can, and with wisdom to know the Would someone please read the essay purpose from page 201 in the white book? I'm Jeff from Sexolic. The essay purpose, Sexolic Anonymous, is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop busting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting for our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. It does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Thanks. Thanks, Our panelists for this session are Brad, Philip, and Mike. Each will share for 10 minutes on the topic. We'll then open the meeting for sharing. Please join me in welcoming our panelists. You're up first. Are you ready? Okay. Should I put this back on? Okay. My name is Brad, and I'm a sexaholic. Hey, everybody. It's great to be back in Atlanta. Thank you for inviting me to share on this panel. Um, my home group is the 630 group in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, my sobriety date's October 28, 2009. Um, disposition of the heart and condition of the mind. Um, I, I can tell you what it was like for me pretty quickly. It comes straight from the literature. My disposition in my heart was restless, irritable, discontent, inadequate, unworthy, alone, afraid, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. I was having trouble with personal relationships. 
I couldn't control my emotional nature. I was prey to misery and depression. I couldn't make a living. I had a feeling of uselessness. I was full of fear. I was unhappy. And I couldn't seem to be of real help to, to other people. So, like a friend of mine said last weekend, he said, he said, my problem was life and my solution was lust. And that's pretty much the disposition of my heart and, as you can imagine, the, the obsession of my mind, the chaos of my mind, the delusion of my mind. That's, that's what it was like. And obviously, I needed a overhaul. I needed a makeover. So, I'd like to just share a little bit about what renewing of my mind looks like today, the change of disposition in my heart. Um, one of our readings says, uh, the crucial change of attitude begins when we admit we're powerless over lust. And I heard a guy say one time, he said, that's the beginning. That's not the end. That the crucial change of attitude is a continual process. And that's been my experience as well. I'd like to share a couple of stories of what that looks like for me today. I grew up looking like, or, or believing, uh, with an old idea that if you wanted to get anything done in life, if you wanted to be productive, you had to work mad. And I, I got that, I learned that on Saturday mornings, refinishing antique furniture with uh, my pop, my dad. And we would get up and we'd be mad. And we'd work on that furniture. And we'd get stuff done. And so being angry and being and working was just, that was the way I did things. And of course, as you can imagine, it wasn't a real uh, uh, happy thing for people that were around me. In fact, I had a manager tell me at work one day, They said, she said, Brad, People hate to see you coming. You know, when I made amends to my employer, they didn't say anything about don't spend so much time on the computer. Get out, get out of the chat rooms. They said, please quit being a jerk. So apparently my old attitude was not working. And fortunately, there's a solution for that in our fellowship. It's called the sixth and seventh steps. That's God calling, by the way. <laughs> I don't know how I'm doing for time. I don't want to go over. I'm sure you're timing this. Anyway, the six and seven steps is where a lot of this change of disposition and renewing of mind occurs for me. And here's what happened. I start asking in prayer, is there a new idea? Is there something different than working mad? And I'd like to say it's an inspiration from God but it might have just been something that I should have learned in kindergarten. But I came up with this thought. Try, have, try just doing an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. So I go into work and I tried that for a while. And I put it on my wall. H-D-W-H-D-P. And I started doing that. And I started feeling a little better about myself. And I started being more productive. So I go back to meditation and prayer and I ask my higher power, is there more? Because what I've learned is in this program, more is always enough. And yes, there is more. It's a different kind of more, but there's always more. 
And what I got the next time I go into prayer about this in the seventh step kind of a attitude is, why don't you try to have fun at work? Why don't you try to enjoy your work? And I think that came from a Disney movie, uh, Jiminy Cricket, if y'all remember him. But I didn't know I didn't know I could do that. I, could, I didn't know I could enjoy work, but I tried it. And I began to enjoy work, and I began to laugh, and I began to have fun. And those people that used to be scared of seeing me coming, see me coming, they began to like to see me be around. So I asked God again, "Is there more? Is there anything else?" And this last go round has been an awareness that every day I go to work, I'm making a contribution to the people that I work with my customers, myself, that I'm adding value to the to the world, to my community, that's a change of heart. That's a new disposition. That's a renewing of mind for me. And so I work now. I don't work mad as often. Sometimes I do work mad. But I try to work cheerfully. I try to know that I have a purpose. That's a change of heart, a change of disposition. I'd also like to share one more thing if I got time. We've got time. We've got time. And this has to do with the tenth step for me. This is a tenth step exercise that I use on a regular basis. And it comes from the chapter in the big book, the There is a Solution. And it comes from the conversation that uh, Roland Hazard had with Carl Jung. When Carl Jung said to Roland Hazard that the spiritual awakening is a, is a, is a change, uh, uh, of ideas, emotions, and attitudes. That it's it's all of the old ideas, emotions, and attitudes are put away, and new ones are 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 take. We take on a new set of of all of these things. And the way that looks for me is, if I get disturbed, you know, whenever I'm disturbed, there's something going on inside of me. There's something wrong with me. When I get disturbed, I write on a piece of paper the word idea. And I come down about a half a page and I go, emotion. And then at the bottom of the page, I write the word attitude. And most of the time, it starts with an emotion. Here's what happened. Here's an example. My sister calls me up a couple of years ago. She says, hey, Brad, would you like to come up to the lake house for a cookout? And we're going to ride the boats and we're going to do all these games and we're going to do food. And I'm like... Oh yeah, good, right, yeah, uh, fantastic. And and I'm and instead of responding to that invitation with joy, I'm responding with anger. And I knew there was something wrong with me. And it turns out that I was jealous because I don't have a lake house, I don't have a boat, I don't have a big grill to cook burgers on. I got a little thing that we put charcoal in. You know, I'm jealous. And I go, okay, jealousy, that's the emotion. What's the old idea? Well, the old idea is, goes something like this, that the measure of who you are as a person is, 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 is determined by how much money you got in the bank. That's the old idea. Well, the attitude is, if they got more than me, there's something wrong with them. So I'm mad at my sister because she's got something that I don't got because of that old idea that money is the measure of success. And I take that idea, that emotion, that attitude into prayer and meditation. 
consultation with a sponsor, maybe even bring it up as a topic at a meeting. But somewhere, some way, I'm looking for a new answer. What's what's different? What could be different about that? And it's not for me to go make a bunch of money and buy a lake house. Because my truth is, money is not the measure of my success. It never has been. If it was, I'd probably have more. But it's not. I am a guy who gets a fulfillment value uh, from doing other things, like helping other people. So I go to my higher power and I say, I'm ready for this old idea to be gone. Have you got something new for me? And then I just sit in that space and I wait. And what I get is I can have a different set of atti- a new attitude about life. About I can be true to myself in that in that place. So I get a new idea, I get new feelings, new emotions, and a new attitude. I can be true to who I am. And that's where for me the change of disposition. I could go. I got a lot of opinions about disposition and attitude. I won't give y'all all that, but that's how it happens. That's what that's what changes. I can't figure. I can't take an attitude and slam it to the ground and say you're going to change. That doesn't have work for me. But what works is if I just kind of let it go, give it up, and get it get clear away the wreckage, and just receive. Something new? I don't know. Is it is it new or was it there all along? And I just hid it. I covered it up. But whatever, however that works out, I'll tell you what. It's a lot better way of life than 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 what I had before. So thanks for letting me share. I'm Philip. I'm powerless over lust. Uh, my sobriety date is November 25th, of 2014, and I'm uh, grateful to be speaking on the disposition of the heart. I, I didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to, to speak about until I met with my sponsee this week uh, on Wednesday and was was sitting across the table from him. We were we were dialoguing about some things, and I, I just he's uh, I think it's appropriate to share some context. He's early in recovery. He has a little over a month of sobriety and just you could see the, the internal struggle combination of, um, where he was at in life. He's, he's a, uh, soon to be a, a new father. He, uh, is struggling with his identity and recovery and he's just, there, there's so, so much swirling going on that he's just incapable of really Grasping, like who who is he? Uh, there's there's still t- way too much lust impulse going on. And it was it was such a good reminder for me of of where I started out and 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 how much I defined myself on a daily basis by I guess what I'll call like um, my body, which is you know my my mental impulses, my physical impulses, my um, inability to, to manage really anything that was going on uh, around me in, in, in any way, shape, or form. And, and I think that the shift that has taken place for me from, uh, I guess, my old disposition of heart to my new disposition of heart is the fact that I, I no longer define myself by my, by my physicality. Mm-hmm. I, I am a spiritual creature far, far, far more than I am a physical creature. The problem is I allowed for roughly 30 years of my life the physical to define my thoughts, 
my actions, um, what I saw was was reality. The, this, I loved some of the things in the previous share of, of, of striving for success, striving for money, striving for a bigger <laughs> house. Uh, for me, striving for the perfectly struck golf ball. Uh, um, I mean, I had, I had all sorts of things that were what I saw, what I thought was real and felt was real, but really none of it was real because I, I never really leaned into the fact that I am I'm first and foremost a, a spiritual creature who just happens to reside in a physical body. Um, so it's it's taken me some time to to you know I guess the, the early steps of it was just trusting the fact that I couldn't trust myself I couldn't trust my own thinking because my thinking was broken it was it was rooted in as I said 30 years of of really just self seeking uh, 30 years of of uh, being selfish first 30 years of caring about my needs. 30 years of having a, a vending machine relationship with God. I mean, I was I was raised in the church, but my, my relationship was, with God was, I'm going to go do what I want to do, and when I feel miserable enough, I'm going to come back to you and pray and, and hope that, you know, I can find some sort of reprieve. And, and, and that was... It really it just wasn't it wasn't a fun existence it was it was absolutely driven by by me and, and the shift that is taking place in recovery is when i when i've started paying much more attention to the fact that i am a i am a spiritual creature so there have been some you know some action steps that have kind of come along the way you know what what are the things that i'm doing to to I guess stoke the fire that is the the spiritual creature inside of me, and and I don't think too many of them are, are you know grand and, and, and different, but I think one of them that's is just thoroughness in my lust recovery. You know, I I, I have the opportunity to give into the, the 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 physical on a daily basis with my eyes, with my mind, and when I became thorough in the fact that I'm not going to allow a, a, a single woman to pass by and have that moment of, all right, I, I am going to drink that image in, whether I'm, I'm going home and actually physically completing the act of masturbation or whatever it may be. It required some physical, um, physical rigorousness that didn't allow the mind or the body to go there. And then from there, it created opportunity for the spiritual to actually become real. And, and then from, from, from the, the place of being thorough, I, I, I shared this recently in a talk that I began giving myself the, how, how did I word it? Um, I allow myself to focus more on spiritual productivity than external productivity. That could be in the middle of my work day and being completely wrecked with fear or anxiety or being overwhelmed with my working situations and saying, I don't have the right or the responsibility to be in front of this computer for the next two hours with all sorts of temptation. So I'm going to get up from my workplace. I'm going to go take a drive. I used to work across the street from a cemetery and I'd go walk in the cemetery. I'd make essay phone calls. I'd pray. I would listen to worship music, which is an important part of, of my spiritual journey. And bit by bit, things changed. Um, I had a really cool example of, of actual tangible change, not just in me, but that others saw in me a few years ago. So I, I work in the recruiting industry. And one of the things that we do is we have uh, different assessments that we take. So I took one when I joined my, my firm and we had assessments that we would often have others take on behalf of our clients. So part of the reason that my boss hired me is because of where I tested on 
It's called the DISC assessment. It's a, it's a, it's a circle. It has different quadrants. And I ranked in the top left hand corner, which was called a controller conductor, <laughs> which basically means I get what I want no matter how I want to get it or by means. That's just, just who I was. And my boss loved that. He's like, cause that's who I am. And, um, so. Five years later, because I was with this business for seven years, I took it again. And we had someone on our staff who had given out thousands of these assessments. And she said that you only see minor shifts ever in this type of assessment. And I took it again, and I became what was called a supporter relater, which was 170 degrees different from where I started out. And she had, in her experience said the only way that she has ever seen significant change is when someone associates it with a spiritual shift in their life. And she had seen a similar change, but by and large, most people are stuck um, of, of their own ability. And my boss, when he was actually relating this information to me, he goes, I don't know what changed in you about 18 months ago, but all of a sudden I started seeing this peace in you. And I was in a commission-only sales environment, and peace was just something I had no concept of. I lived on like every single phone call and every single possible deal. And, and the ability to actually have peace in that environment and give up control in, in so many areas of my life, in addition to, to work, just it, it was amazing, but it was awesome to see someone else identify and see that in me because I don't even think I had yet seen it in me. I'd felt it, but I hadn't seen it. Um, I'm trying to think what else I want to highlight here. Are we good on time? Okay. All right. So I think for, I guess, deeper spiritual recovery, deeper um, you know, condition of the heart change, I've I've had some some revelations here recently about the the word attitude, and I believe that attitude was something that was placed. I think this is whether I consciously said it or not. I believe that attitude previously was something that was placed on me as a result of my circumstances. So if my wife wasn't um, doing what she needed to do, or my work wasn't going the way it needed to, or if I didn't like the way I felt about myself, then my attitude, just by default, I had no choice. My attitude was going to be garbage. But when I started, in particular, waking up early in the morning and fostering my, my, my spiritual attitude and, and seeing you know, who, who I actually am spiritually and, and obviously not only in essay literature, but, but also in my, um, in my Christian faith and, and, and who I believe God has, has created me to be, which is not who I believe myself to be for 30 years. When I started intentionally changing my attitude and, and, and believing the things that I believe God um, says over me, then then it gave me a place to actually give. I wasn't in a place of, of lack. I wasn't in a place of, I need something from others. I was able to start my morning saying, I am full. I have enough. If anything, I have an abundance spiritually and I can give to others. And that has, has really changed a lot. I've become a, a, a foster parent within the last year of two wonderful girls. And that's required a lot of giving and, and not a whole lot of self. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one, I don't know why I want to bring this up, but I, I do. Uh, it just, I think it's an example of gratitude and thanks to God this week. And I haven't thought about this in, in probably at least two years, but, uh, 12 years ago, I think it was, I was, I was in college. In addition to addiction to pornography, I was addicted to drugs and I had driven, I lived in Birmingham. I had driven home and I was going to specifically pick up drugs and I'd gone to a friend's house. I'd picked him up and I was, Pulling across a five-lane road, so there were two lanes, two lanes, and a turning lane, and I was pulling out, 
And my friend happens to say, what are you doing? And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I compressed the, uh, the brake and a minivan took off the entire front end of my Honda. And I can tell you that that one second had been different. If my friend had not said, what are you doing? I was in a small Honda without my seatbelt on, again, driven by my impulses, just doing whatever I could on that day to get drugs. And I would have had a fifth a 50 probably roughly mile an hour minivan hitting me right here mm. and this week I went and saw a YouTube video of what that actually looks like and I can tell you that if I was here today I would not be in this in this body mm. and I'm just I'm just so grateful that, that that was a reminder that you know of my own flesh I know what I'm capable of but over the last few years through just nothing but God's grace and and, and learning to live driven by the fact that I, I do believe I am, I am a spiritual creature, uh, just things have changed and life is better. So thanks for letting me share. Thanks. Morning, I'm Mike. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Mike. Uh, my sobriety date's October 28, 2012. Uh, these other two guys seem to have real clarity about what disposition of the heart means. I really have never understood that phrase. It just made no sense to me. So when I volunteered to be of service at the marathon and somebody asked, would I be a speaker? I said, sure. What do you want to talk about? Mike said, I don't care. Just plug me in wherever you want. Here I am at disposition of the heart. So this for me became more of a, not of what am I going to tell you, how it has affected my life, but like kind of like a research assignment. I just got to go find out what this means. So I'm just going to tell you what I discovered in my research. And all I did was I grabbed a dictionary and some of our books. Mm -hmm. And off I went. As I started, I kept the the three words, heart, mind, and attitude, uh, kept popping up continually. It's like they're almost interchangeable or they overlap in the way they're used as, as I found it. Uh, one thing I found in a white book under uh, the subject, An Attitude of Change, on page 50. A white book says, Attitude transcends the externals. Attitude makes the person. We are what we think. Thus, we create our own predisposition to addiction. And by the way, I'm having the experience that uh, my attitude is also creating a predisposition toward recovery. You know, it's, I'm finding I can take some of these negative statements and turn them to a positive. And for me, there's an illustration of the difference between uh, living in addiction and living in recovery. The dictionary defines disposition as a person's inherent qualities of mind and character. And it defines heart as the centralmost part of something. In White Book, The Spiritual Basis of Addiction says that aspect of ourselves underlying and determining all our attitudes, choices, thoughts, and behaviors, the very core of personality, the very heart of a person. In the White Book, it also says focusing on some real or imagined wrong we separate from the person in our heart. Uh, in the dictionary, disposition is defined as an inclination or a tendency. So I take that to mean uh, when I get focused on uh, a wrong, uh, real or imagined, uh, my, my inclination is to separate from that person in my heart. 
when I'm in my addiction. Disposition is defined in a dictionary as the action of ordering people or things in a particular way. In the big book, on page 187, it says, Each day I would try to find out what his, his being the higher power, what his will was and try to follow that, rather than trying to get him to always agree that the things I thought up for myself were the things best for me. <laughs> so I related to the uh, action of ordering uh, my higher power or people or things in a particular way telling God what he ought to do to get things right for me good thing he didn't listen he never did uh, the dictionary defines disposition as the way in which something is placed or arranged especially in relation to other things and in the essay 90 day book of meditations uh, on, under insanity to sanity, it says, working the steps in SA, I learned to turn my mind and heart over to my higher power, which helps me find the strength to stop the insanity that damages my family. And so that, that uh, definition of uh, something placed or arranged, especially in relations to others, it just reminded me of all the conversations I've heard in the rooms about how the 12 steps are arranged in a specific order. And they have to be worked in that correct order for them to do what they do for us, to have the power that they have. So uh, I relate to the order of the steps as to the disposition. The dictionary defines disposition as the power to deal with something as one pleases. And in a white book, under the spiritual basis of addiction, guilt and punishment, it's on page 51, uh, the writer says, Dear God, I cried out that day. That's me in there. I am what I think and do, every moral choice and attitude. Once I let anything into the stream of life, it's part of me. So, I, the power to deal with things as one pleases. Those are telling me I, I make choices of, of what I do and what I think and how what I see and my attitudes, and that, that becomes who I am, good or bad. It also got me thinking about character defects and character assets and how we uh, are told to do our debits and credits and take an inventory. And the, uh, when I think about that definition out of the dictionary, the power to deal with something as one pleases uh, it just made me think about the choices I have. I can I can choose to live in my character defect of greed, or I can live in an asset of charity and generosity. I can choose lying and cheating, or I can choose honesty, anger or gentleness, judgmental or empathetic, arrogance or humility, drunkenness or sobriety, lust or love. In the big book, on page 189, I found it says, Bill then related how he had lain awake nearly all night, down in the pit of his depression. New hope had somehow been born. The thought flashed through his mind, if they can do it, I can do it. Over and over he said this to himself. Finally, out of his hope, there burst conviction. Now he was sure. Then came a great joy. 
At length, at length, peace stole over him, and he slept. And the words that jumped out at me in, in that paragraph were, it begins with depression, and then it moves from there to hope, conviction, joy, peace, and sleep. I've had my share of sleepless nights in my active addiction, and Bill got a good night's sleep after that. Um, I like that. So, I just taking that, I, I kind of uh, did a little modification to the dictionary and kind of blended in some things from our literature. And <clears throat> I can see a, dis, a dictionary, the, a definition of disposition to be the way in which my heart is placed or arranged, especially in relationship to other people. And since my heart is the central most part of me. Uh, what I've learned is that my addict heart and my sober heart are the same heart. It's a matter of which direction I point my heart. Uh, so that's what I have learned, or I think that disposition of the heart means to me. Thanks for letting me share. Because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not cross-talk. That is, we share with the group as a whole, rather than addressing an individual group member. We speak in the I, not the we or the you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religions, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the essay point of view. Our meeting focuses on solutions to our essay approach to recovery. Whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles and authors that are not SA or AA approved literature. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. In sharing, if a speaker brings up a controversial topic or deviates from our guidelines, the moderator will interrupt the speaker and ask them to honor our request. In sharing, we encourage you to focus on the topic of the meeting. This is not a check-in meeting. If you need to check-in, please find a temporary sponsor, somebody with a purple stripe on their name tag. After the meeting, with whom you can share. We ask those who wish to share, please come up and sit in the chairs next to the microphone in a queue. As one person moves to the sharing chair, the others just move over and another person takes the amp's chair, so that as many members as possible have a chance to share. Please limit your sharing to a maximum of two minutes or less. A stop sign will remind you when you have reached two minutes. Please speak into the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. The meeting is now open for sharing. Morning. I'm Mance, grateful recovering sexaholic. This uh, <clears throat> discussion is a very favorite topic of mine. I have uh, been in this program. I noticed on the uh, questionnaire it asks for uh, specifics. I actually have uh, been in recovery from my addiction just over 30 years, uh, and it hasn't been a smooth road all of the way. But uh, I would say in the last several years, probably five to seven, 
Uh, I have had more focus on this specific topic of the disposition of the heart. And uh, I appreciate uh, the shares on it uh, from three different perspectives. I think they were all right on target. But to me, uh, it's that one simple sentence that uh, Mike referenced on page 50 of the White Book. It's the last uh, sentence in that paragraph. There's five words in it. Uh, we become what we think. And to me, that makes all of the difference. Thanks. Thank you, man. J.J. Sexaholic. I, I appreciate all the sharing. Uh, uh, I really relate to a lot of it. I, I came into the 12-step program in 1983, and for 30, over 30 years, I was up and down and up and down, uh, relapsing, and, and, and then the next thing, I was, I was a spiritual wonder, and then do, go, going down and relapsing again, and up and down, and for 30 years, I was always running away from, uh, the, the the program and uh, and service and and this type of thing. Uh, I was at uh, uh, the uh, early bird meeting at the Triangle Club and I had shared during the meeting and someone su- su- suggested I might go to Sexaholics Anonymous, <laughs> <laughs> which I did. <laughs> and once I got into the meetings, I realized that this is where I needed to be. I, I was I was really I wasn't ever. Uh, uh, focus in on lust. I, I wasn't dealing with it at all. I was, I was always filled with lust. And once I got to the program, I <coughs> found out what that lust was about and how I needed to change my life. It, it was, I mean, it was, it, it was a, it was a, a, a huge door that opened and I, I was in the right place for once and, and I started really <coughs> uh, building a good foundation. Uh, with the essay program and, and going to a lot of meetings and calling a lot of people, getting sponsors. I went to the first year and a half, three, three, uh, two CA sponsors and a, and a cocaine anonymous sponsor, uh, realizing that sir, give, give, giving it away was, was one of the bigger answers that I, that, uh, doing service work and having sponsees was a very special thing for me. It, it, it gave me a nice glow in my heart. To realize that I was, I was out uh, reaching out to helping others. So by the grace of God, I'm here. Thank you. Thanks, JJ. I'm John, and I'm a sexaholic. I'm grateful to be here. Grateful to the panel. Thanks for the subject. Thanks for this event. Um, top plate for me is uh, an event happened to me flying here yesterday, and uh, it hit me by surprise. But today's topic really helped me. Uh, sitting in the airplane on one side of the aisle, my wife on the other side of the aisle, um, in sitting next to me comes a younger man, and then alongside him in a window is a very attractive woman. I noticed her when she came to sit down, and I kept custody of my eyes, but I didn't keep custody of my ears, and what ensued was a lengthy conversation between this woman and the younger man next to me. And I thought I was working my program, and we got off the plane, and I went to buy something at a vendor, and something didn't go right, and I lashed out at the vendor. My wife kind of looked at me like, what the heck just happened? And it's taken me the better part of the day to figure out what happened. I was jealous of this guy next to me. (laughs) I was jealous that he had the attention of this woman, and they had a very good conversation, 
And so not only was I lusting after the woman, I was lusting after the relationship, and I was denigrating this fellow next to me because he had the audacity to be a human being and have a relatively nice conversation with an attractive woman. That's who I am. That's my heart. That was my heart yesterday. And it's only with looking at it that I could realize that my heart was in the wrong place. It's a very normal human interaction, and uh, you know, it's only my lust that perverted that into something different. So I'm grateful to be here. Thanks. Hello, I'm Ben. I'm a sexaholic. Um, first, I'd like to just thank all the speakers. Uh, very, uh, just excellent. Uh, each each of them, I, I wrote something down that's very uh, very beneficial. Thank you. Thank you all. Um, I, as I was... Uh, uh, Hearing this, uh, it just brought to mind, uh, it's been about a year for me that uh, this uh, came out and um, I decided that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to beat this thing. Uh, I've got a competitive nature. I'm not going to lose. And um, and it wasn't more than a few months into it that I, I realized that, you know, I can't, I can't figure this out myself. Uh, and I can use my competitive nature in another way uh, to to, um, to to get peace, to to not compete, but to find answers and and look for um, look for ways to um, change my mind, change my heart, and uh, and so I just encourage you. Uh, I'm on a spiritual journey, as as was mentioned, and. There's something in, uh, I think for me, I found that, uh, you know, you can't change your own behaviors necessarily, um, powerless, but um, if you take an attitude of, of if, if I take an attitude of, of, of real uh, change and looking for my higher power and use my competitive nature in positive ways, that um, it's really... Um, it's really uh, been a avenue for me to uh, to improve. So, thank you. Hey, I'm Eric. I'm a sexaholic. Um, yeah, thank you all for your shares. Uh, really um, hit home, and it gives me some hope uh, to uh, continue working the program and and hopefully get that shift myself. I experienced it a little bit, and this is. Um, it's kind of, uh, you know, um, it, hopeful and reinforcing that I'm taking the right path. I've been working on the fourth step. I haven't even gotten to the fifth step yet in SA. And um, I'm just looking at my part, and I see a lot of arrogance and a lot of uh, an attitude that I think I understand things. And I'm really just kind of putting my thoughts, um, for example... I, I really like Lord of the Rings, and um, I, so many people can read into it, and they're like, oh, so this is what you were writing about. You were writing about the government and all that stuff and, you know, the Ring of Power. And he, and he's like, no, no, I just just thought it was a fun story, and, and that's, that's what I wrote it as. And I watched it that way, and I enjoyed it so much more. I don't know. Instead of, like, imposing my beliefs and my biases and thinking I know what's best... Um, I've really just kind of found uh, a lot of peace in seeing my part in the wrongs and uh, arguments and 
kind of that whole philosophy of, of resigning from the debating society and thinking that my attitudes and my thoughts are the right way to think. Um, and I've, I've found a little bit of peace in my experience from that. And, uh, and I heard a lot of, uh, hope for, you know, more to come from, from your guys' shares. So thanks. Mark, recovering psychotic. Uh, d- uh, disposition of the heart and renewing of the mind. Um, I share a lot in this uh, in our fellowship about things that have, have gone wrong. This is something that makes me uh, happy about something I'd like to share for just a moment here. Is uh, in my uh, in watching a lot of a porn and just my mind, you know, full of that kind of stuff. And then I watch a lot of gore movies, just things that would shoot them up and mm. just terrible stuff and. And uh, just a steady diet of that really made me pretty harsh, like somebody read angry, you know, frustrated, drove like a madman out in Atlanta, probably ticked y'all, everybody in the room off one time or another. Uh, but, uh, you know, something happened as I started trying to really, uh, uh, when I didn't do it, I know I didn't do it, uh, that's for sure, that God started changing my heart. And what happened was I got very tender hearted. It's like, wow, what is this about? I mean, I would, my kids will watch my shoulders because I'll cry in a in, at a commercial, mm-hmm. and they'll say, you know, is Dad crying over there or what? You know, and especially if it's a movie, any movie that's got a soft spot, and that's such a it's such a joy to share that with somebody and like to go do something and be. Uh, I won't say I'm normal. I'll say that I'm getting closer to that, and that God provides some things for me that I, I never enjoyed before. Thanks. Thanks. That's all the time we have today. Um, Any last shares before we close? We've got time probably for one last share. That's all the time we have. Thank you for participating. Please join me in thanking our panel. Thanks, guys. Anything you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the name, address, and phone number of anyone you meet or learn about in SA to yourself. And what you say here, let it stay here. Remember, we never identify ourselves publicly with SA in the press, radio, TV, or films. Neither does anyone speak for his say. Let's circle up, and after a moment of silent med- meditation, I would like to ask Brad to lead us in a prayer of his choice. I've been told that the moment of silence is to give the old people time to get up out of their chairs. <laughs> Why don't we do the third step prayer? God, God, offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I might better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that I would help. Thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do that for always. 
Keep coming back to the work that you work it. Forget it every day, every night. Just work it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks,